Hey guys, welcome to No Planet B, a podcast where we're talking about climate change and its effects on planet A. I'm Brianna. I'm Wyatt. And on this episode, we spoke with Olu Olajide, who hosts the Energy Talk podcast that you can find on Spotify and iTunes. We talked to him for a while about uh, the energy industry, trends in the industry, uh, transitioning to alternative energies as well as alternative energy storage, um, because he has a background in engineering and talks to tons and tons of folks in the energy industry. We thought it'd be cool to have him on the show again and talk to him. And uh, it was cool and it was fun. And Bree, you were there and it was cool and it was fun, right? Absolutely. Both of those things. Both of those things. And so here it is. So you think you know more about energy than climate change? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. At first, I thought that the energy and the climate community were like were like very close together. But yeah. the more I really like talk to people and really look at it, it's they're they're almost so far removed. And I feel like the only thing really connecting those two um, those two uh, communities is the fact that a lot of the energy sector is still contributing a lot negatively to climate change and you need to transition the energy systems. I, I, I feel like apart from that, they, uh, I, I don't feel like they would mix. Would your guests bring up climate change on their own if you don't bring it up? Not not necessarily. So um, I was speaking to, um, to this guy. Um, he just started the energy engineering program at Oxford. He just got in as a Rhodes Scholar. And he started this um, this renewable energy company in Nigeria before he went on to Oxford. And he was just telling me that although um, climate change was a big motivation as to why he started the um, the company that kind of produces locally manufactured um, inverters and trying to diversify into other products that kind of uh, allow people to stop using um, diesel and petroleum generators in Nigeria. But he says that it doesn't really talk about climate change because before you can kind of address that, you kind of need to meet people's basic needs first. And I feel like that's the tone I get a lot on the podcast. And I just realized that uh, we, we, we have conversations and we kind of talk around the subject of climate change and we don't really mm. address it directly most of the time. I just find it very funny, and and that's why I've just been thinking that maybe maybe the community is a lot more different than I thought, or maybe I'm just not comfortable talking about it. Mm. That's why I've been I've been picking up books about subjects. Okay, so I, I'm thinking that maybe if I'm a lot more comfortable on the topic and I know more about it, maybe then the conversation kind of lean towards that. I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure yeah. out why it is that uh, um, climate change is a, it's a big motivation, but we don't talk about it a lot. I, I, that's something I noticed. Could it be that people in energy generally have like bigger problems or I guess more like immediate issues than climate change? I feel like I get in trouble anywhere I answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, but I think yes, I think yes. I, I think specific to the um, so the regions that I speak to people more. So I'm talking about um, the sub-Saharan African region and sometimes mm. South America and sometimes um, Southeast Asia, like the biggest issue in those areas most of the time is energy access and uh it's it's obviously um climate change is still going to affect those regions disproportionately as compared to countries that have more stable economies and are a lot more far developed in terms of infrastructure and all that but it, it just comes to the fact that majority of the people who live in those countries don't necessarily care too much about climate change they would much rather focus on okay um we need lights for children to study at night we need um 
we need energy to have local manufacturing pick up and all those things. So I feel like that's that is why it it it, it kind of takes the backseat when when it's we're talking about energy because mm-hmm. energy is very broad. Because when you're talking about energy, you have to mix in policy and finances and all these things, and it it can get really complicated and uh maybe just like really focusing on one subject at a time is, is what's like helping us at this stage. But yeah, but climate change doesn't feature enough in our conversations from what I've noticed at least. Do you have people that come on that are pro alternative energy? Yeah. I, I feel like that is, that is the, the large majority of people we talk to. I, I think I could count with my, with one of my hands, how many guests we've had to talk specifically about the oil and gas industry. And gotcha. I guess the only, the, the only really interesting news that's come out of the oil and gas sector, because it's, it's been quite boring and um, yeah, it's just been mainly how COVID has really affected things. I, I don't know how well your audience are really um, concerned with um, the oil prices and the oil markets, mm-hmm. but oil prices haven't really been doing so good. So um They've been sitting below forty dollars per barrel for a very long time, and that is usually not good. Um, Sixty is usually where um, people feel comfortable, and about a hundred was when the oil and gas industry was what's was really at its peak, and that's what people really got used to when it comes to like that oil and gas prosperity and companies doing really good and people getting paid like ridiculous amounts of money and all that. Yeah. But right now, um, there's this concept of um, of um, peak oil. That just means that um, that that's the point where the demand for fossil fuel projects really just starts to decline, and they never really recover from that. And mm. the, the something that has come up a lot in the conversations I had about oil specifically is that COVID might has really just accelerated us towards that um, that timeline. So we might just reach a stage where really we well a, a lot sooner. Yeah, and we start to rely a lot less on fossil fuel projects because uh, I think uh, COVID really just showed the vulnerabilities in the industry and because when you realize that um, oil and gas, it's it's really a commodity. It has to be um, produced and then it has to be moved from one place to another and all of these things kind of, um, that is that is a large logistical framework that kind of like got put on hold for the most part due to COVID and then you have manufacturing shut, shutting down in most of China and all these things. So um, demand really fell, and that was that was really the most interesting thing. So most of the guests we've had, they they all point towards um, renewable sustainable energy because I think unless you're you're trying to be really stubborn or you just want to be very um, ill advised, you mm-hmm. can't you can't deny the fact that uh, uh, we have to move towards cleaner energy, and that's just really what we've seen. So these people work in those fields but they're agreeing that alternative energy is a necessity moving forward yes you 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 you'd actually be surprised about that (laughs) i had uh i had a guest recently um a few weeks ago he is one of the managers at an oil and gas service firm so usually oil and gas service firms are the ones who provide let's say drilling maintenance work for the oil and gas operators so that's your your chevrons your bp so the the companies are kind of falling to the oil and gas um, services industry it's kind of like your halliburton's and uh, slumbiger if any of your audience are familiar with those companies I, I think those are the largest ones um so companies like that are really reliant on the prosperity of the the operators because they have to price their their services according to 
what the oil prices are. So basically, when the prices are high, um, they can charge more for the services. But when the prices go low, um, they have to either um, really, really cut down on their service pricing or they have to, which is most of the time what they do, let people go. And mm. there have been huge downturns and that sector specifically has been very sensitive to um, fluctuations in the oil prices. So that was what the episode was really focused around that um, this is not something new. Downturns are really um, popular in, the, in, in, in that specific sector. And right now it's a lot worse because with, with COVID playing such a huge factor, there is no guarantee that those jobs that were lost are going to come back anytime soon. Because I mentioned earlier that oil prices are sitting around $40 per barrel. There's no guarantee that it's going to go to 50 or 60 in the next, let's say, five, 10 years. And if that doesn't happen, then all those jobs that were lost and all those people who were used to working in the oil and gas sector and have those specific skills, mm-hmm. all of a sudden that they're, they're out of work and have to transition to other um, industries. Most of the time, actually, it actually turns out to be the renewable energy industry because as the oil and gas industry is losing jobs, renewable energy is expanding and that opens up more jobs. So that has been a very, um, very interesting conversation to have because um, the specific guest I was speaking to, Fraser, he is he, he, he works with this company called Gyrodata. They're also looking how they can offer services to the renewable energy sector because they're seeing that they can't just be an oil and gas service company and survive. They have to think about how they can protect um, future growth and future revenue. So they're trying to look at how can they offer different services, can they offer technology that helps different sectors and stuff like that. So, so yeah, so I think you would be surprised the amount of people who, who do talk about renewable energy, even if they are in traditional oil and gas um, sectors right now. And I just feel like uh, the way the conversation is shifting, it, it's, it's really encouraging because uh, uh, I think we're going to get there, but uh, <laughs> the, there's still a, a lot of stubborn stranglers, uh, but, but we can talk about that soon. Yeah. Are these people negative about it? Like, are they upset that they have to transition or are they pretty accepting? Well, I think it it, re- it really depends on who you're talking to, and I, mm-hmm. I, I think this can really get um, a lot down to the individual. But I think companies like um, the people who make decisions in companies, they they kind of acknowledge that um, um, things might not be as good as they once was, and there's need to really transition their business model and look into other sectors that they can um, project growth into. Mm-hmm. But then you have to look at um, some people does, let's say you have someone who is, uh, who works on an oil rig, for instance, and that's all they've done for the last 15 years. And they're really mm-hmm. good at that one thing on, on the oil rig. Um, so they have more incentive because all they really care about, I'm sure they have like ways to make it look prettier, but they're, they're really concerned about losing their jobs and their source of livelihood and all these things, because they have specific skill sets that really pertain to that one specific job in that one specific industry. So people like that, it, it's a lot more difficult for them to accept that kind of change because where does that leave them mm-hmm. in that in that transition? Because it's it's almost like they're getting um, left behind. And I think this this is actually a very good example to look at like something like the coal industry. I mean, at this point, everybody kind of accepts that um, we could we could actually do with a lot less coal. Like we don't really need coal as of right now. 
but there's still a coal industry. The coal industry still employs people. Those are still jobs and people who have worked there their entire lives. They might not be very comfortable with the idea of, of losing that source of livelihood and stuff like that. So I guess mm. it really depends. But I think for the most part, the writing is on the wall. Yeah. When I think of uh, oil and gas industries, one like example that pops in my head that's kind of similar is cigarettes, like the cigarette industry. When people started realizing that they're not good for you, it's not going to be a great market in the future. And so what a lot of them did was go towards like e-cigarettes, like some of them adapted, maybe new e-cigarette companies came out. And so like, I feel like cigarette companies kind of had this way of adapting by doing like vape pens or whatever. And you can do like less nicotine, no nicotine. Is there any chance that these oil and gas industries are going to adapt and maybe like transition into being alternative energy sources? Or are they just going to (laughs) disappear? Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So I mentioned earlier the concept of of peak oil. Um, So if it it does reach that peak and it starts to decline, that doesn't mean that it's going to be an overnight decline that industry suddenly goes to zero. I think Mm. uh, especially in other parts of the world. Um, there's still going to be a large dependence on that industry. I think most projections, I think the BP outlook came out earlier this year. And we're still looking at the oil and gas industry doing relatively well, at least up to 2050. And that might seem like a very long time away. But the thing is that you have to realize that um, sectors like aviation, like um, like shipping and all these things, they rely very heavily on fossil fuels. And there's really no solid alternative as of yet. There's still going to be a demand for fossil fuel projects, whether it's demand is good people supplying that demand so there's going to still be companies who still stay in the traditional business model but they will probably see reduced revenues because they have to get a lot more creative and it that's a very good example you gave about the cigarette industry like people know that it's 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 bad for you and and the cancer and stuff but they found a way to make it fashionable yeah true the industry is still alive and well and that is when they have to put huge warnings at the back of their boxes and all these things you have people who still go to those products so uh, that industry you could say it it is on the decline but people won't stop smoking in the next 10 years or something like that. So I think that that same um, kind of analogy really plays out, uh, simplifying a little bit, but it's still the same concept. It, the industry won't just go away overnight. It's it's going to take a long time to really adapt. Actually, some, something interesting about that, because in the cigarette industry, I don't think there's much of an alternative, but in the energy, in the, in the concept of energy, there, there, there are very good alternatives, especially in this case when it comes to renewable energy with, with solar and wind, especially when they become more applicable to grid-scale energy generation. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, you have to be either um, God or uh, a very, 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 very confident person to make predictions about that. Yeah. <laughs> So renewable energy in the U.S. looks like it's generally increasing. I think it was like something like 25% of the U.S.'s electricity was made from uh, renewables in 2020. Is that a trend globally that it's generally going up or is it just the U.S. or is it just developed countries? Globally, it it is going up. But I think this goes back into what I was saying before about the different kinds of ways that renewable energy really plays out because mm-hmm. in the US it's it's a lot more mature industry it 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 it, it is following that same trend but it's it, it's looking really really different from the way it's going playing out in the US but the share is going up but yes yeah. it's, it's uh 
it's kind of like different applications, if you will. Now, I feel like one of the biggest barriers for alternative energies is one that I also don't know much about, and that's uh, storage. <laughs> how is how is storage doing? Yeah, uh, so it's actually funny you mentioned this because we actually did an episode recently. This this one has been published. We're talking to the um, CEO of this company called Faradian, and what they're doing is they're making battery technology using sodium ion. Mm sodium ion batteries. So the most popular technology for batteries right now is lithium ion batteries. And that's what is usually in your phones and your laptops and in most Tesla, Tesla cars right now. But it's a very complicated process to make lithium batteries. And that has to do most of the time with the, um, with the raw components that go in. So the lithium, mm-hmm. the cobalt, and all those natural resources that actually have to be mined off the earth and, um, and put into those batteries to actually make it work. So uh, that, is, that is a problem many people are trying to solve. As far as where the technology is right now, um, I, it, it, it's, it's still not as perfect as people would like it to be. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's still the same problems and, uh, and the same old arguments against renewables still kind of play out, even though it's all like really old right now that um, it doesn't work when the sun doesn't shine or when the wind doesn't blow and we don't have enough storage to really like take it as the, the sole source. So basically, there's still that intermittent energy supply that still needs to be complemented by something else wow. most of the time. In some, in some places, it's natural gas or if it's hydrothermal or nuclear or whichever really it is, but the storage technology isn't really there. Um, so the conversation I had going back to that about sodium ion batteries is um, the fact that sodium is a lot more abundant and um, mm. some of the raw materials that really go into lithium ion batteries come from... Um, DRC, which is the Democratic Republic of Congo. And most of their mining practices come through child labor. And so that's Mm. obviously a big no-no and a big problem. So people are trying to look at ways to kind of reduce the need for that specific rare earth method to really go into batteries. So that's why um, we had the conversation about sodium ion batteries. So sodium is is a lot more abundant and it's should be a lot more easier to make as a battery than just to adapt the technology, but it's also not there yet. So um, that might be the next like really big industry when it comes to renewable energy because whoever cracks that up, and I know that uh, in the climate space, they don't really talk about this too much, but uh, they could make a lot of money actually because it's a very big problem. Yeah. So would sodium ion batteries be used for like an alternative energy like solar? Um, yeah, so um, most of the application for sol- sodium ion batteries is for um, more like stationary storage. So, so let's say you have a, a large solar farm or or like an offshore wind plant or something like that. So it can it can be used for stuff like that. But for some stuff like electric vehicles, it, it doesn't really work too well. That that might address like a specific segment of the um, battery storage market, but there's still a larger one that still needs to be filled up by lithium ions at this point so the share of electric vehicles is still going to be on the rise and i think it's only a matter of time before other parts of the world apart from um from the developed countries really start to adopt it and speaking of which um china and india are really leaning heavily into electric vehicles that's evs and it's it, it it's something that's a really really growing industry for them and it's something that the government really actively supports which is mm. really not the same in in some of the, um, like in USA, for example, that 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 that's not something that is um, very popular most of the time. But this this trend of electrification, I think it's uh, 
it's it's inevitable it's 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 almost like moving away from old technology to the new technology and yeah i want to ask you guys a, a, a question actually um so you guys are very into the climate community and i mentioned that i've been trying to like uh be less of an imposter to the space uh so <laughs> When when you come to talking about 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 energy, like where does your mind go first? Because I think if if I had to make an assumption, I would say that when I say energy, you immediately think of the oil and gas industry, you think about renewables. But mm-hmm. what really comes to mind when 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 the topic of energy comes up? I guess I would think like the oil and gas industry first. And then just, I guess, the infrastructure of energy, you know, power sources and everything and how it's distributed. That's kind of what I think about. Yeah. I think what usually if I'm thinking of the energy industry, it's usually in the context of because of these climate conversations, it's almost it's almost always it starts with climate change. And then we talk about energy as a solution. So whenever I think of energy, it always feels like work, like there's work that has to be done there to like transition or work that has to be done there, especially where like in the United States, we have a history that's super tangled with the oil industry. Like we're not gonna be getting away from it anytime soon. And it's a big political stance here in the US to be like pro oil and gas because pro pro oil and gas for a lot of folks here means pro jobs and pro economy, which is this weird misnomer, but it's like, yeah. very solidified in America as that's how you are. If you're not pro oil and pro gas, you are like anti-economy. And sometimes that like misnomer can get in the way of what feels like progress where obviously we can still have a, a bustling economy with alternative energies. There's a lot of advocacy that has to be done. There's a lot of time that just literally has to go by for us to make these transitions. Time and work, I guess, maybe some like technological innovation um and a, a decent amount of arguing is usually what comes to mind <laughs> if, if that, that makes sense. sense yeah uh i think i kind of relate on the argument piece uh, yeah a lot of arguing in this space <laughs> yeah because <laughs> there's just so many different angles so it makes sense yeah there is yeah there is and uh you, you kind of mentioned something but i i I feel like in the U.S., almost every topic is kind of political, right? <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's really fun. <laughs> it's a very friendly environment over here. But yeah, I, 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 I really agree with that, and I, I just find it very fascinating because I, on the podcast, on on my podcast, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, tr- I'm trying to to talk more about climate change in a way that is, uh, is, um, very practical. I say practical, and I, I feel like I need to explain that so yeah. I don't upset anybody. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So when you're talking about energy, the kind of pathways and steps they can kind of take immediate action on. You can, if you're talking about a renewable energy project and you're talking about setting up um, technology and really building on stuff, like it's it's something that can be built and something that can be explained in a way that people can kind of uh, picture and really visualize and kind of see how it plays out in their communities. But I just see that um, as far as communicating climate change, because it's 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 a lot more of an um, abstract topic, and I feel like that's where most of the disagreement really comes about. Is you, you can't you can't just build something to kind of address climate change, and you can't just uh, just uh, see how it plays out immediately in your community unless you really really need to really sit down and look at the facts and look at the actual science behind it. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's 
that's that's what I've really identified that really differentiates the two and 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 why it's uh, it's a lot easier to talk about energy than it is to talk about um climate change. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think there are a lot of times when climate change it can be kind of apparent, but it's not super apparent yet. For example, in like Miami right now in Florida, I think it's like totally flooded right now because of um We've been having like the strongest hurricane season we've had. And every year it seems to be getting like the trend is that they're getting stronger and stronger, which we still have that ambiguous, like, yeah, it's because of climate change kind of, but also maybe that's just, it's just hurricanes. So like talking about climate change, (laughs) you definitely get this feeling of like, yeah, it's here, but like, maybe it's not. And there's like a cognitive dissonance a little bit. Whereas energy, I feel like there's, it's more cut and dry at least by a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does actually. That that actually does make sense. Like Miami is currently flooded and people are still not convinced. Well, I think that's a cool... Yeah, okay, so as someone who is... You, you host an energy podcast and you have lately been reading more about climate change in general. How, like, how do you feel about it? It feels... Honestly, I think coming from a lot of conversations about um, energy and um, just about because we, we talk a lot about projects like we talk about, okay, what are you doing? What, what is your company doing and how what kind of pro, um, um, products or what kind of progress have you made and how is this really uh, shaping up to the energy conversation? Like you, you, you can really track um, immediate action with almost immediate results or like projected results and stuff like that. So I think that is what is really different because when we have talked about climate change in the past, most of the time it's, it's been with um, climate activists. And I don't feel like that really represents um, the, the limit of what people can do because I'm really against the idea that all young people can do about a problem is to protest because mm-hmm. as far as as far as that is really really important I feel like there's a different level of action that can be taken there's a lot more that they can do than just protest what what action can be taken and I feel like that immediate action mindset is not something that is um really reflected in the climate space most of the time because most of the people in the, in the climate space are either scientists or they're policy experts so besides protesting, what do you think would be the direct actions that people could take? Really early into the podcast, I think in our first 12 episodes or something like that, we had this um, this amazing young lady. Her name was Yetunde Fadi. And I think I mentioned it the last time I was on this podcast as well. <clears throat> she is the founder of this organization called Reese Africa. And what they do is that they go into rural communities in Nigeria and they basically give them electricity for the very first time. So what they do is it's... There's a word for it. It's called rural electrification. So that's what they do. And um, I think in that episode in particular, it's very obvious that um, our primary motivation is is climate change because she knows that climate change is going to really affect those people. And it's it's usually people who have um, their communities that are, are kind of shaped around fishing or agriculture and all these things. And so she kind of looked at it like, okay, if, if she goes and tries to talk to people about climate science and about all these things, they won't care because most of them are living in, um, in some levels of poverty and they don't have enough to get by during the day. So how can she really engage them in that conversation at, at least the very first step? And 
her answer was rural electrification and just really being part of communities like that. That has really shaped many of my conversations, but this doesn't work in, in communities in the US because everybody already has lights in their homes for the most yeah. part. I guess like you can have some communities that have been very um, systematically uh, forgotten in some, in, in some specific situations, mm-hmm. but you can't just go and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you like enough power to, put up two light bulbs and an electric fan and enough power to charge your phone. Like that is, that is just really basic as far as the need. So it's, it comes across a lot differently. So that's, I think that has really shaped much of my thinking that, okay, what kind of immediate action can be taken? And I guess it doesn't really apply in other parts of the world, apart from Mm. like my specific um, situation in Africa and in Nigeria. So that's where I'm coming from. And that really just shapes the way I, I look at it that, um, just talking about climate change and and i feel like it's it's the same in most places because just talking about climate change as a kind of like a, a topic is, is isn't really enough unless you can tie it to like specific action or specific consequences and stuff mm-hmm. like that and uh most of the time it comes across as um um apocalyptic or alarmist but i feel it's it's in in some parts of the world it it, it might be necessary because i think that's the only way to motivate people into action unfortunately yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I think there's a there's one and maybe this is more specifically America, but there's one that like, you know, we just got a little victory in a kind of action that has been advocated pretty well, which is just voting that for America is a huge one that like we had a a ginormous voter turnout for this most recent election. And I think a lot of that is because of like talking a lot of like advocacy and a lot of stuff like that. But then there's other things like you're talking about where it's like direct with communities like problem solving as opposed to just speaking with people and that's um there's definitely a lot to value there maybe i should i i I should be getting a better appreciation for different parts for different different types of action apart from the ones that that i'm i'm used to because i think Mm. uh i've just been trying to pick up on what is my bias in this in this conversation i just realized that i I probably have a lot. So it's just like <laughs> trying to draw draw all those back and try to see, okay, how can we bring this to make a, a constructive, productive conversation that people want to listen to and guests actually feel comfortable talking about and all these things. Yeah. A lot to think about. A lot to do. You know? <laughs> a lot to do as well. Yeah, definitely lots to do. Well, thank you so much for being on and taking the time to talk with us. Yeah. It's always great talking with you. (laughs) Always great to talk to you guys. Yeah, you too. Thank you. (laughs) And we're back. Well, (laughs) welcome back to the present. Uh, If you enjoyed the episode, give us a rating on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram at NoPlanetBcast. Follow us on Twitter at NoPlanetBcast. Email us at NoPlanetBFSU at gmail.com. Follow us on TikTok has no planet be cast and um yeah let us know let us know what, what questions you have feedback comments whatever we're here for it right brie absolutely and we want to wish you a happy holidays yeah happy holidays have a good one stay warm stay safe etc well thank you for listening and we'll see you on the internet <laughs>